If you haven't already grabbed a Bible, now it is a good time to do so. We'll hear the word of the Lord today from Luke chapter 13. The story that we've heard already in part, we're going to hear again now. Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 10. And then uh, that's on page 58 in the green Bibles that are here, the second set of page numbers. So let's pray together. God, as we come uh, and we hear a story about what happened one time when you, Jesus, went to a place like where we are now, a place of worship and a place, place of gathering, of hearing your word and spending time in prayer. Uh, and when something happened in that place, We pray that you will speak in such a way that we remember that this is a word that is alive and is continuing to speak to us today. And so we pray that we will listen with our whole hearts. We pray that we will listen in such a way that we will hear a word for us and that we will be able to be honest about that so that we might uh, find ourselves uh, not fitting the description of hypocrites, but instead fitting uh, as one whose heart and will is in alignment with your purposes in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here is the beauty of ordinary time. Ordinary time is when we spend lots of weeks considering how Jesus changes everything in our lives. How these very big ideas come to be played out in very specific ways in our lives. So think about some of the big ideas we've talked about this summer. We've talked about fear. We've talked about money. We've talked about division and being able to speak up when we see something that does not belong to the character of Christ. So that could be considered politics. We've talked about our attitude of service, how we see ourselves as people who serve our Lord and Master in every way. And now today we're going to talk about worship and uh, Sabbath and ideas and rules around those things. And it's our last Sunday uh, with our kids upstairs for a little while. We'll go back to our regular schedule after today of having the children downstairs for three of the four Sundays a month. Uh, And so, uh, you know, as we keep in mind how our rules or our ideas about worship are shaped and what we do inside of ourselves and what comes out of our mouths, this story has lots of implications, not just for what's happening over here, but what's happening up here, what's happening in here for each of us, what's happening out there, uh, what happens here every week. So we want to think about that in the context of what we hear today and see what God raises for you. So hear the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 13. Now he, that is Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then, there appeared a woman with the spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, 
kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at the wonderful things that he was doing. This is the word of the Lord. That's a little easier than last week to say, isn't it? Okay, well, today is an example of Jesus bringing division. So there you go. So Jesus is a guest teacher in the synagogue, and we need to first understand that synagogues and temples and uh, were two different things. So that was the first question I had when I read this text. Like, wait a minute, why is a woman and Jesus in the same space? Oh, that's right, because he's in the synagogue. So synagogues were places of worship like these that were in all kinds of different cities around, and the temple was in one place in Jerusalem, and it's the temple where God's presence was, and it's the temple that had the rules about who could be in the in, in, in space. So at synagogues, men and women were there together, just like we are here for worship. And just like we are here for worship, there's somebody who does the teaching. And just like we have here for worship, there's somebody who's sometimes the same or sometimes a different person who's doing the worship leading. And so the picture we have here is of Jesus doing something. We have a picture of him doing multiple times throughout the Gospels and his ministry. Because he was a rabbi, he would go and teach at the synagogues. He was a teacher who would go and guest preach in different places in the community. And this is not the first time where in that setting, Jesus has irked the ire of the people who are the worship leaders and the people who are overseeing what happens in that space and at that time. For you see, this is not the first time that Jesus is healing on the Sabbath. But do you notice in this story, Jesus does not talk about healing. In this story, Jesus talks about freeing. He frees the woman from her ailment. He frees her. The word that the priest or the person that was in charge used is cure. But Jesus talks about setting her free, about loosing the bonds. So we're going to come back to that idea. So this woman comes in, and Jesus is teaching, and he sees her. She has not asked to be healed. She has not come because Jesus is here, and she wants to ask him for healing. She is following the rules. But Jesus decides to do this thing because he sees her with compassion. He sees her as a beloved of God. He sees her as one of God's children. And he, as the son of God, has the authority to do whatever he wants to do. He, as the son of God, has the authority to do whatever he wants to do. 
And so he proclaims her healed. And in this sacred place of learning, he touches her, a woman who has this evil spirit at work in her life that is keeping her bound and trapped, a woman who therefore is unclean. And in front of everyone there, he heals her as though it's no big deal and it's just another day in the kingdom of God. And notice, notice, well, I should have said he frees her because I made a big point of that, didn't I? He frees her from this evil spirit in front of everyone. He frees her, she worships, she praises God, she gives God the glory for what she's experienced. And notice that the leader, who would be me in this case, doesn't like what's happening and he says to the room, don't anybody else get any ideas. We're not turning this into a prayer meeting or a healing room. Come back and follow the rules. He doesn't say it to Jesus. He says it to the people who are gathered. I wonder if there was a piece of him that knew. That knew he was not getting what was happening in that moment. I wonder if there was a piece of him that knew that there was something that he was being invited into, just like all of those other people in the room that he was not saying yes to because it did not fit the expectations that he had and that he was protecting about what should happen. Do you remember uh, a a number of years ago uh, when Dan Mason, God rest his soul, uh, asked Peter Sinclair a question during the sermon? And I was like, don't do that when I'm preaching, please. I had, a, I had a flashback to that when I was reading this story. A flashback to that because I was worried about what might happen when I was up there leading, and I did not want that to happen. So I didn't talk to Peter about it and say, please don't encourage that. I said, it, I talked to Dan about it. I said, please don't do that when I'm preaching. I wonder if I missed an opportunity there about something that God might have wanted to start doing in our community. I wonder. Because of what I want to have happen while I'm up here talking, because of the expectations I have and the rules that are good and in place for reasons, all of those things. But Jesus says, why? The rules that you are following are there for reasons. But the way that you are living and adding to them is what makes you a hypocrite. A hypocrite, as Ben described, is one whose, per- whose will and heart is not in alignment with God's, but who thinks that it is. Who is sure that it is. Because here's the thing, there were laws and there they were still in place at the time of Jesus. So we know we know from um, uh, studying Jewish culture and the continuation of people who follow Jewish law even today that there are all these rules about what it means to work on the Sabbath. And somehow healing had become an example of work. 
Now, they worked it out finally um, for doctors, for instance, uh, around 200 AD, uh, and they took one of the laws in Leviticus that talks about living, and it said, well, you can't really follow any of the Sabbath laws if you're dead. So uh, healing and restoring people to life means that doctors can keep saving lives because that law needs, means that people need to live to be able to follow the law. Okay, we are not immune to like working ourselves in circles about these things, friends. <laughs> this is present in every religion uh, that exists. This working around the rules to try to make sense of how to follow them. Because we start adding things because we want to make sure we're doing it right. And then all of a sudden the rules become something different than this idea that they're there to benefit us. They actually become rules that we make to benefit us. So when we think about this religious leader at the time, the rules that Jesus highlights about the fact that they could untie their animals on the Sabbath day and bring their animals to water and to feed, that benefited them. It benefited them because they were people who owned animals and needed to be able to take care of their property. And so Jesus says to them, you have made all of these rules that benefits you, but have not seen the ways that your rules benefit you more than they benefit other children of God. You have not seen the way that you have actually made your property and therefore you more important than other people in God's family. Why is your ox so important to you that you can make a rule that can be bent so that you can still follow this commandment? But this woman, who I have decided to free, is not worthy enough to be unbent. So all of these rules that you have put into place about what should happen here and at this time, consider the way in which you have made them for your benefit rather than thinking about the benefit of others. That's, in essence, what Jesus is pointing out to them. Notice how quickly this story moves from being about a, a, the fact that Jesus can nonchalantly heal a, a free, free a woman who has been bent over by oppression of the evil one, how easy and quickly he does that, to being about the thing that keeps us from truly entering the worship and the purposes of God and how we might follow those rules and all about how those rules have been set up and our expectations of what will happen and our traditions about what should be are really about us and not about others. And that's not why God said that Sabbath was made for man, but why God said Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for Sabbath. For you see, this leader, and like so many of us who come in places and stand in places of privilege, it's easy for us to make some rules that benefit us 
rather than understand how the rules are for our benefit. And the expectations that we have about what should happen when we gather together as God's people benefit us because they feed us and they're the way that we want to be fed. Then how the rules about all are welcome are for our benefit. How the rules and the expectations and the traditions that we bring in worship close our minds and give us a tunnel vision to the grandness of what God wants to teach us. Because the Sabbath is built on this picture that God rested when he created all things. And if God rested, then ought we to rest too. But it's also built on the liberating work of God. The God who freed and rescued his people from Egypt and their enslavement. The God who freed and rescued his people from sin and death. This covenant of God is built not on God being a God of rest, but God being a God of salvation. And the rules are meant to help us benefit from that truth. Not the other way around. Not cut people off from experiencing that. That's why the freeing language of this text is so important. And let me tell you, it does not look good to be indignant about the freeing work of Jesus Christ in someone else's life. Oh, that does not look good, friends. Indignant is this old word, but it means to be intensely displeased. To be intensely displeased with what God is doing. To be intensely displeased, but to be so... What is the right word for what he might be feeling? That he talks to everyone around except for the person who actually did it. He's so indignantly dis- he's so indignant about Jesus that he takes it out on everyone else. And that is not the kingdom of God. That is not the kingdom of God. When we are displeased with the graciousness and the mercy of Jesus that we take it out on the people around us. So the invitation to us here is to think about times when we have been intensely displeased with something that has happened. In particular, you can think about this space, this, this church. You can think about it in your own life. And think about why. Like, where does that intense displeasure come from? And if Jesus were to talk back to you about that intense displeasure, what might he say? What might he say? So we're going to do two things this morning as we prepare to come to God's table. We're going to sing a song of repentance uh, to identify with the religious leader. We're going to sing a song that asks God to break us for the things that break him for the things of his will, so we might become more in alignment with him. And then we are going to come to God's table to receive his meal of freedom. So uh, I'm going to ask the band to come up.
And I'll offer a prayer, and then we'll sing this, and then I'll offer another prayer. So, Lord Jesus, we actually, uh, we do not want to be hypocrites, but we know that there are pieces of each and every one of us that are hypocritical. Who, if we sat long enough with you, Holy Spirit, uh, would learn about the ways that we are displeased, and our displeasure keeps us from seeing your kingdom work happening in our midst, our displeasure about what it might cost us, our displeasure about what it might mean for us work-wise, and what it might mean for us in terms of sacrifice and showing grace and mercy and forgiveness to other people, all of these things uh, really can be understood as being displeased with your work in this world. And so we confess that before you. Uh, we confess that uh, our, our focus and ourselves Uh, can really truly keep us from understanding how your rules don't need to be added to, but just need to be followed and lived. And that we don't need to add for our own benefit because you have done all that is necessary. And so as we pray this song, as we sing our prayer, uh, we pray that you truly will continue to break us uh, so that we may be agents of your shalom and healing, so that more lives can become unbent through the ministry of this church and through each of our individual ministries and advocacies. We pray uh, knowing that this is your will and that if uh, you broke a commandment, it was not a sin, but a model to us about how to actually obey that commandment. Let's sing. <clears throat>